For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of worth. Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. I'm here now. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome to a very early edition of Richard Skipper Celebrates. Who or what are you celebrating today? Well, I'm here early today because as soon as this show is over today, I am heading to Joe's Pub because I am going tonight to see Linda Clifford. Uh, some of you may have seen the interview that I did with her back in May, and I am so excited. I have sent out uh, some invitations for some people to join me this afternoon, and I don't know who's going to pop in. I don't know who's not going to pop in, uh, but there I see a couple of people popping in right now, so it's going to be surprise afternoon. Uh, it's hammock day, uh, which means that every year on July 22nd, we celebrate just relaxation. And we have to take a moment. We have to breathe and we have to relax. I'm in wearing relaxing clothes today. I am going into the city tonight. I am going to put on my best disco moves. Do you remember those days when we used to take a disco nap so that we could go in and dance to those disco moves? Well, tonight, I'm going to be dancing with Linda Clifford and Martha Wash and the ladies of disco at Joe's Pub. And I can't wait. My friend Natasha Lombardi is here. And Natasha, we have two very special ladies waiting in the wings. And you are going to decide who we bring on first. So all you need to do is pick a number, one or two, and that will decide who will bring them on. So just put, pick a number, one or two, and we will bring on our first guest. Uh, so ladies, just be ready. We can bring you on. And I cannot wait because both of these ladies I love. But we're going to give them equal time today. And we're going to celebrate. And she's picked number two. And I'm so excited. And I can't believe that she said yes because this just happened. It's Tanya Pinkins. Tanya. Hey, I'm relaxed too. I got the sarong on. I'm chilling in the bed. <laughs> I cannot believe that you said yes at the last minute. So thank you for being here. Uh, and it's, uh, do you, I mean, I know that I'm assuming that you have an apartment in the city. Do you yes, I do. Uh, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm also going to throw caution to the wind and assume that you do not have a hammock in your apartment? Well, I do have a balcony in my apartment in the city. Um, and I'm not in the city right now, but I do have a hammock right here where I am. You do? <laughs> I do. Uh, where are you right now, if you don't? Right now I'm in Panama. Are you really? Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> And you took the time to be here with me? Yep. Oh, Tanya, I am honored. I now I was going to ask you, uh, you are so busy. Uh, we're going to talk about your project, Red Pill. Uh, and I, I was hoping uh, when I reached out to Lisa asking that you would say yes, because just in case I grabbed your graphic, just in case, uh, so that we could talk about it. Um, but you've been so busy promoting this and you've worked on this project. Um, how do you unwind? What do you do uh, to really go into that mode of just relaxing and chilling out? Well, if I get to be God, my very favorite thing to do is to go to one of the Korean spas and have those body scrubs where it's like you're a baby and someone's just washing you like you're a baby and then go have a massage. That's my favorite thing in the world. And if you could take me with you, <laughs> I would let's, let's do that at some point because I'll, I'll, and I'll, and I'll pay for it. Well, you know, they have it over um, in the thirties in Manhattan. They have some. 
So I would love to do that. I am going to ask a surprise question. As you can okay. see, I haven't even looked at it. Okay. And the surprise question is, and uh, you, I mean, you are an award winner. And the question is, and this is probably a redundant question for you, and maybe it doesn't even matter with you, but would you rather have a Grammy or an Oscar? And if so, why does either one matter to you? Do awards matter to you at this point in your career? You know, that's a funny question you should ask because I am, I think about my mortality. And so I've been trying to do what I've been told is called Swedish death cleaning, where you start getting things in order because your children are not going to want your stuff. So when friends come to my house and they admire something of mine, I'm like, really? You like that painting? Take it. Um, you know, all my needs are met. Thank God. And when I buy things, I buy them to support a vendor, a family. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't need anything. I do like beautiful things, but I don't get to take them with me. Um, so I've been talking to the um, Billy Rose Library about taking my things and, you know, taking my diaries, taking my awards. And interestingly, they don't want the Tony Award. They're like, no, nah, that's a 3D thing. So I'm like, oh, well, who am I going to give my Tony Award to? Um, so it's always an honor to be, to be recognized. So it, emotionally it feels good, but when you've been doing this long enough, you also realize that it is not a merit or merit thing that mm -hmm. people get awards for a lot of reasons. And very few of them have anything to do with merit. Um, I think in certain markets for certain people, an award can give you a cachet that can allow you to do other things, but that's not necessarily true. So I've learned to enjoy what I enjoy and not have expectations of anything bringing any more. So that being said, of the two awards, a Grammy or an Oscar, I would go for the Oscar because I wanna make more films. And you will, and, uh, and I'm gonna pull a question from back here, believe it or not because these questions are, uh, they're called impact questions. Okay. Uh, I have this decked uh, and uh, this question is, uh, use your skills to empower someone else today. And have you used your skills to empower someone else today? Today, have I used my skills to empower someone else? Yes, I did. Someone called, called me with a, a challenge about their writing and a story they were writing. And I was able to give them some notes about just going back to the simplest thing rather than their big thing to go back to the simplest thing. And they said that that was very helpful for them. That's wonderful. Now, I know you've been on this journey with Red Pill. So where are you now with this journey? What, what's happening right now with Red Pill? Um, I'm about to four wallet at Winston, in Winston Salem on August 3rd. We're going to have a, a one night 10 p.m. show there. Um, I think you know the pandemic is not over, but I think when I'm in towns from now on, I will do some of these in person shows. Uh, it's available. Uh, it's going to be available on the AVOD soon. So like Tubi, um, and I forgot the other names of the AVODs, but I know Tubi is the one that everybody says is the, the big one that you want to be on. But it's on Amazon and Fandango and DirecTV and Comcast. And so it is available pretty much worldwide, which is a huge accomplishment. Uh, not everybody gets that. So um, that and I, you know, I, what I say to people about a movie is a movie is a piece of real estate, if you maintain your ownership of it, it has the ability to make money for life, to be introduced to new generations as long as this industry exists. You know, I, I was watching a great movie that was like 75 years old. It was called Colossus, the, the Finberg Project. And it was this sci-fi thing that was better than some of the sci-fi things I see today. And it was in black and white. It was so smart. So um, I think of it as something that is part of my legacy that I pass down to my children and hopefully they, they will pay attention. No, hey, capitalize on this after I'm gone, introduce it to a new generation. Um, so every time I'm out in the world, it's something to keep promoting 
because I don't have the millions of dollars that she's frozen for a moment. So hopefully that's going to pass. Uh, Tanya, if you can hear me, uh, you are frozen. So sometimes exiting and coming back. Oh, there, no, there you are. So you say the last thing we heard was you don't have a million dollars and then you froze. That's the oh. universe stopping you. Well, you know, the studios spend, I think, sometimes $50 million to get an Oscar. Like, you know, they, they will spend a $50, $50 million on an ad campaign for an Oscar. I would never be able to do that. $50 million could, like, change millions of people's lives. So, um, you know, it, it's like Red Pill is like my... Um, you know, like your book, when you self-publish a book, everywhere I go, I'm promoting it because those people are probably hearing about it for the first time and being introduced to it for the first time. And I will be doing that for the rest of my life. And hopefully there'll be more movies and the next one will bring people's attention to the last one. So, you know, getting my little basket of things that I carry with me for the rest of my life. That's great. Uh, a couple of comments. Uh, Lisa Rodrigo is here and she's uh, sending love. Uh, Natasha Lombardi said, loved you on Gotham and also on All My Children. Uh, you. you were an amazing Ethel Peabody. Um, she's curious if you enjoy playing uh, Ethel Peabody. I loved playing Ethel Peabody. And one of the really cool things about that was I was brought on for just um, a very short recur of about four episodes. And I got to work with the brilliant B.D. Wong. And B.D.'s contract was for like a dozen episodes. He was a, a bigger character and they just thought they were going to bring me in for, you know, a few moments here and there. And so one day B.D. and I were talking and I told him that. And he was like, oh, no, we're going to build a relationship. You'll be here a lot longer. And that is what we did. B.D. and I just started doing things like we we time our walk together. We have looks and we started building something that the writers started to write to. And I got to stay there for 11 episodes. That's wonderful. Well, I want to bring our next guest on uh, as well. Uh, Jackie Sanders is waiting very patiently in the wings there. Jackie as to do with it i'm absolutely loving and hanging on every word tanya penkin says are you kidding me ethel peabody was amazing i'm just sitting here enraptured i just love the fact that both of you at the last minute today said yes to me so thank you both and jackie you mentioned that you didn't have a show tonight what are you currently working on um, I am doing the PTP, uh, the Potomac Theater Project plays down at Atlantic Stage 2 this month. Um, Potomac Theater Project has brought in plays every year for 35 years. Um, they do British playwrights that we very rarely seen get done here in New York. So this year we're doing, I'm in uh, with Bill Army and I are in Stephen uh, Burkhoff's play Lunch. Um, Burkhoff is a wonderful British author and actor. You've probably seen him in a lot of James Bond movies as a villain, but he's also an incredible writer. And so the first act is Bill Army and me in lunch. And then the second act, we do um, two Carol Churchill pieces. Um, we do Hot Fudge, and then we do the premiere of her piece, Here We Go. Mm. Um, so the entire evening is called Sex, Grift, and Death. So I'm in Sex and Death. Um, <laughs> I guess they didn't see me in the grift, but we'll, we'll work on that. <laughs> there are themes going on here. <laughs> so, uh, why, I mean, is there a particular reason why you're not tonight? Was this planned or? We, um, we do um, what PTP, Potomac Theater Project, which is run by Richard Romagnoli, uh, Cheryl Ferrone and Jim Potosa is they um, they split the night. So Jim Potosa has nights on the nights we're off and his group is called Reverse Transcriptions. That's the other piece Potomac Theater Project has brought in. Um, what he's doing is um, two pieces, uh, uh, the dog plays and then followed as his act one and followed up by a new play he's written called um, uh, um variant strains which we've heard a lot about um but what the, his night does uh reverse transcriptions is the first play is about the aids epidemic the answer the the, the second play variant uh, is about the conversation between older and younger gay men right now 
regarding, you know, COVID and and the AIDS crisis and some of the younger ones really not understanding what many of us saw, what many of us went through in the, you know, and it's a particularly beautiful night. So if you go on to ptpnyc.org, you'll see, um, you know, the schedule for both sex, grift and death, which I'm in and um, reverse transcriptions, which is the other collection of plays. And with both of you, just to let everyone know, I will have links to both of your projects oh, on thank YouTube. Because you. so I want to watch Tanya's as well. Thank so you. So that people will be able to follow up with those. And it's very, you know, it's timely right now because with the monkeypox epidemic uh, in right. New York. And there, I mean, this weekend on Fire Island, there's a circuit party going on. What? Uh, yes, on Fire Island with uh, this monkeypox uh you know, I remember very well when the AIDS crisis was uh, desecrating New York City, uh, that the bathhouses and everything started shutting down. And, you know, if anyone has ever read the book and the band played on by Randy Schiltz, uh, he talks very much in the book that those were opportunities where they should have gone into the bathhouses and educated these men as to what they should have been doing to protect themselves instead of, you know, shaming them and shutting these doors. And I just hope that, you know, these parties will be used as an opportunity to educate, uh, especially mm -hmm. now. We are, I mean, I live in Rockton County and if you've been paying attention to the news, polio broke out again this weekend. Uh, the West Nile virus is here in Rockland County. Uh, we're not out of the woods with uh, uh, with COVID and all of these other things. So, and I was just in Europe. I mean, I was traveling a lot. Nobody in France is wearing masks on my planes. Nobody was wearing masks. I was in Kentucky. I was in Atlanta. Nobody was wearing masks. I I've been the same place. I was. Um, I I'm going to be. I play Barbara Walters in the upcoming Mike Tyson miniseries for Hulu, and we filmed that in October, November, and December all over the place. And while masks were still required on planes at that time, eh, you know the stewardesses were fighting people. It was very difficult. And once I got to when we were shooting in Birmingham. I, it was literally you could tell who's working on the film. We were the only people wearing masks in the entire. Uh, Birmingham, Alabama, people looked at us like we were from Mars. Wow. And, you know, that's when the Omicron had just like, you know, was hitting full force. And we we were very fortunate because, you know, we had the testing every day and everything. But I, I've seen what Tanya's seen. And I think that, you know, one of the great educators and one of the great things that is um, that's happening now that the theaters are reopening again and certainly, you know, um, online films and, and things as we do have in the arts a chance to to educate people uh, in hopefully a palatable way, but maybe something that'll stay with them, hopefully. <laughs> Who knows? But I think it is something of a, um, in addition to entertaining people, we have the power to to get a message across at all times. And uh, yeah, it's sad that it got politicized because, you know, people from Asian countries have been wearing them forever. And yes. I'd say the most beautiful thing for me about wearing them is I didn't get any colds and sinus infections for two <laughs> no, years. No, I know it's great. <laughs> it's great. So Jackie, I'm going to ask you the same two questions that I asked Tanya. First of all, uh, would it be a Grammy or an Oscar for you? And do awards matter to you? I've never considered the last award I think I got was I got one for an audio book I did uh, during the pandemic. And, and that meant a lot to me because it was about a scientist uh, and, and, and it was something that I felt really proud of. I guess I would choose a, an award that that if if it was a project that meant a lot to me, because then it would it would represent not just me, but it would cover everybody who worked on it. And that's what mm -hmm. I felt about this audio book. You know, there's an editor and there's a, there's a guy who runs the soundboard and there are producers. There are so many people involved. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think I, I, I can't even make that decision, but an Oscar, obviously, I think as a kid, everyone dreams of, if you want to be an actor, you think that's what you think that's what it's about when you're a little kid. And then you get here and you get in this business and you stay if you stay in it, you realize that the award is is the people 
Absolutely. To work with and the, the, the privilege of the privilege of getting up every day and knowing that this is what you do for me is, is everything. Well, that'll bring us to the next question. And that is, uh, have you used your skills today to empower someone? Uh, yes, I think very much like what, what Tanya was saying. A friend of mine uh, had an audition that meant a lot to her, and she sent me all of her self-tapes uh, and and then sent me the email chain with her agent, you know, and said, what does this mean? What does this mean? And I think that you have to calm people down and your friends, you have to have your trusted friends. And what I tried to be to her is what I tried, what I need in those situations when something means a lot to you is say, don't let this get in your head. You keep being you. They love you. That's what this email says. The email says double down on being you. And so, yes, hopefully that helped. So, I mean, and all of this ties in with the word that I chose for tonight, which is caring. And I have, this is my giveaway for tonight. And I'm reading this book. This is going to, it's called, can you see this? The Toe of Pooh. Do you know this book? The Tao of Pooh. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I have been reading this book. Have you read it, Tanya? I probably have, but a long time ago. And Jackie? Yes, I have read it. It's been a long time, too. It is, it, it is it's just an amazing book. And I'm giving it away to a lucky. Uh, so all you need to do is respond with hashtag caring tonight. And we're going to do just some fun, uh, random questions that I pulled uh, today. And just to give everyone a chance to know both of you, hopefully a little bit better. And I'll start with you, Tanya. And okay. um what is the most beautiful sound that you have ever heard? Mm. My baby's laughter. And that's a great answer. And of course. And Jackie, when do you most need attention when you're not on stage? Wow. What an interesting question. I thought you were going to ask me about because mine would be my son's laughter too. <laughs> um, okay, let me think about this one for a second. When do I most need attention? Um, probably when I'm trying to garden because I am terrible and um, I, I can get really easily <laughs> in a panic attack when my flowers all die. My husband's a landscape architect, so call. Oh my God. <laughs> That's so interesting because I find gardening and I haven't gotten to do it in 15 years since I moved out of California, that gardening for me is like this metaphor for life. If you're moving too fast, you'll kill something that needed to be alive. So you have to be very patient. So you only cut the weed. And then when you go and you're pulling out weeds and you see how deep the roots go and how long and far... Yeah. So that's how I think about gardening. It's like, oh, I'm watching myself and how am I being in the garden? That's actually really good advice. I think I, I want so badly to, you know, for them to, to flourish and, and be wonderful and everything. And sometimes I care too much. I, my husband was a musician in that musical um, Amour that Michelle Legrand wrote several years ago. And uh, Melissa Errico's character had a um, song about, you know, my flowers all die, even though I water them for hours. Mm. And I was like, <laughs> I water them for hours and they die. What happens? And I think, you know, every now and then I look at my plants and I go, yeah, I got to remember that lyric there. Oh, that's great. Uh, Tanya, what is the worst punishment that you've had to endure in this business without giving away a specific name or situation. I'm asking this question for how you got through it and what's the fortitude that keeps you going forward in this business? The worst punishment. That becomes a kind of difficult one for me because I think as an external thing, the thing that I think most people would think of was the worst punishment actually became a gift for me because it sort of strengthened my own sense of self. So can I give two? Yes, of course. Okay. So when I was doing Jelly's Last Jam, um, I did it out of town in um, the Lo at La Jolla. Um, and then I did it in, in on Broadway. And I was kind of always the, I came into a company that had been working together for two years 
and I was coming in and replacing someone who was beloved and was moved to the chorus. So I just was always the outcast on that. And then when it moved to Broadway and this, you know, Gregory Hines came into it, there was just all these conflicts that I had nothing to do with, but I was the easy person to blame them. So I got fired like five or six times. Wow. And, um, but I was so confident in what I was doing that it was like, well, you know, this is what I do. And if I don't want this, I can't do anything else. So I think that most people would think of being fired as worse, but every time it happened, I just was like, yeah, well, that if this isn't what they want, they should get someone else because this is what I'm going to do. So it sort of gave me this confidence in my work. And then I would say the other to me, which is a more worse thing, is um, just in general, when you know you've been um, blacklisted or something because it's a silent thing and you can feel it, but it's unspoken. And, you know, only every now and again will someone sort of drop a little hint about it. I think that that's the hardest thing because there's nothing you can do or or confront. And it's this, um, you know, it's like a little poison that's that's seeping in. And the way I manage it is to um, know that I want to be where I'm celebrated, not where I'm tolerated. And so um, that, you know, if people don't want to be in the room with me, that's not the room I want to be in either. I love you for saying that. Thank you. Thank you. That's the lesson today. Be in the room where you want to be celebrated. That's it. Um, Jackie, what dream have you had, whether it's a real dream or a sleep dream, uh, what dream are you least likely to ever forget? I have one actually. It's it's the most the 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 dream I had that was the strongest in my entire life, um, and that is that I was in San Diego working at the Old Globe Theater uh, doing uh, this off Broadway musical Cowgirls that we brought into town. But we were out at the Old Globe, and I um, went to sleep one night, and I had an incredibly clear and very long. I know they always say they're three seconds, but this was this went on forever dream with Gene Kelly. And we were on that set of Summer Stock where he does that beautiful um, You Wonderful You with the where um, and with the, the blowers and then he does the then he does the dance with the, the newspapers where oh, I know that I know exactly right. everybody knows this film. So we were on that set and we were dancing together, but then we were stopping every now and then and talking about things that needed to be fixed in Cowgirls. So we were talking about something that was going on in my life and it was very clearly that. And the show was in, you know, out of town tryouts. There were changes being made every day. We were talking about the changes that were being made at the time and dancing on that set. And I just loved him. And we were talking the next morning I got up, turned on the television and Gene Kelly had died. And I've never had anything else happen to me like that ever. I'm not someone who has clairvoyant situations that I know of that much. Um, but that was jaw dropping. And I've never had anything that clear because I always loved, you know, I, as a kid, I would always watch the movies on Turner Classics when they came on. And I just thought he was such a great dancer. But that I've never and I wasn't like a super fan or anything. I'd seen his movies, but that was an unbelievably clear dream. I'll never forget it. And I will never forget waking up the next morning and seeing the news. Wow. What an amazing story. Wow. That's great. Uh, Tanya. uh, Wow. That's great. Um, Who were your mentors and who are your mentors? Um, Growing up as a kid, uh, I had a teacher in elementary school who really went out into the world and advocated for me to get a lot of scholarships. And he taught me how to talk when you went into those rooms for those interviews. So like uh, based on how he told me to talk, I was like chosen to be the representative for my state of Illinois in Washington, D.C. for the bicentennial. 
Um, I also got to go to um, the St. Nicholas Theater Company, which was run by William H. Macy and David Mamet. I was the only kid there. I was 15 years old. Like John Mahoney and I were in class together. Um, so that was one of my mentors. And then George C. Wolf is a huge mentor for me. I have worked with him more than anyone I've ever worked with. Um, I, he just is someone that I respect. I admire. I call him often. Most of the things that are quotes that I use are things he said, brilliance lies in the moment that might not work. If they're running you out of town, jump in front and call it a parade. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that, I've heard him say that. One of my favorite things that he says. Um, and he also says this thing about, about the business, about show business that's been meaningful to me in these last few years. He says, they, the system, doesn't want your brilliance. They want you to put your brilliance on their stupidity. Mm. <laughs> wow. Wow. George, you've got it. It's true. Ten. Jackie. Oh, wow. I, I don't know what to follow up with that. I don't either. I'm, I'm afraid. Jackie, Jackie, what would you most like to be remembered for after you pass on many, 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 many years from now? <laughs> Let us know. That's actually the, one of the weird things about this play, Death, is that, uh, I mean, the, the Carol Churchill uh, play, Here We Go, is, is that our characters all step forward and say when we die and how, and it's a kind of a, a wild moment. Um, what I would like to be, I, I would I would most like to be remembered for being kind, really. I, I think that the older I get, the more important kindness is. Um, I do a lot of volunteering because I like to get out there. And sometimes you just need to um, go and be with people. And my, my great-grandmother used to always say that the best thing in the world was to be good even when nobody was looking. Amen. And she um, is somebody who um, uh, meant a lot to my whole family um, and Della Marie Jordan Sanders. And mm -hmm. um, she would say that. And I think that being kind would that I was helpful to people, that I was kind to people and that I cared about my work and I cared about my co co-workers a lot. That would mean a lot. That's beautiful. And God bless her. Uh, Tanya, who is the one person that you've learned most from in your career uh, besides George Seawolf? Because <laughs> you know that would be where I was going. Yes. Yeah. Besides George Seawolf. Boy. Mm. Bill Macy. William H. Macy. Not, not, I'm sorry, Bill Esper. I'm sorry, Will, Bill Esper. Um, I, you know, went back and studied with him after I'd had a career and I just was feeling like I was getting things like, because I was talented, but I didn't feel like I had a craft that I could hang on to. And going back and doing that two-year program after already having a career was really important. Wow. Great. Uh, Jackie, uh, what are your expectations and desires for the rest of this year? I cannot believe we are about to go into our eighth month. I can't either. In just a few days. I know. Um, expectations, you know, career-wise or personal or, uh, or all of the above. All of the above. Um, well, I hope I hope I get a show in the fall. I love I love television and film, but I I, I just love the theater so much, and I'm so grateful to be. Um, to be working right now. And I'd love to continue being on stage. It, this really does it for me. I, I just love being in the theater live and the unpredictability. So I, I hope that that will continue. I hope I'll get something for the fall and, and be able to continue doing what I love so much. Um, personally, I hope to be able to, I, I, tra I traveled a lot um, during all of this, but my, my dad is going to be 89 soon and I'm crazy about them. <laughs> and I- Where is your dad? In Georgia, in Georgia, near Atlanta. And um, I, you know, the, the pandemic has made all of us be super cautious. He's in great health and we'd like to keep it that way. 
Um, so I hope I get to see him a couple of times um, the rest of this year. That would that would mean an awful lot. And also my son is in Boston and, um, you know, trying to get around to see everybody uh, would be really great. Wonderful. Uh, Tanya, when do you think that uh, you have been the most shocked in your career? It takes a lot to shock me. <laughs> <laughs> I think the most shocked, well, no, I guess I kind of felt that and I knew it. The most shocked, probably when I won the Tony Award because the, the Times had said it wasn't going to happen on Friday. So I was going to, and it was like, hey, I'm not going to win. So, hey, I just get to have fun and be dressed up. I want to ask you a question about that because those kinds of things drive me up the wall. I mean, who are these people to put something like that in print, number one? And when you see something like that in print, what does that do to your psyche? And I'd like both of you to respond to that question. You know, I, I, I just sort of laugh at it. I, I don't know. I am very clairvoyant. So... Um, like I knew I wasn't going to win for Carolina change. Just knew that it wasn't mine. It wasn't mine. And for um, Jelly, I never want to think when my clairvoyance tells me something good that that's right. But my clairvoyance about something bad is pretty, pretty, pretty on. So um, I was just really excited and happy about everything that had happened with Jelly and if I did or didn't win, it didn't really matter. Um, but like, yeah. So I, I, I usually don't read reviews until after it's over, unless I'm in something and, and I'm disagreeing with what's going on and I want to see, was I right? <laughs> <laughs> and Jackie? Um, I, I think that one of the things that, and I, I like Tanya, I, I don't uh, read reviews very often either, but if there every now and then something just draws you in and you've got to say, what, you know, what, what are they thinking? What's upsetting to me is when I feel like somebody really misses a point or misses something so severely and you're just kind of like, was, you know, where were they? And and no one else is missing it. Like people, you know, who've come to see it and everybody else is getting, but that's one person who has power or, you know, two people who have power, but usually it's like one person who has power missed it. And you're like, God, you know, hundreds of other people get it. And the one person whose voice, who has the power, who has the platform missed it. And, and that's hard. That's painful. And I, I'm not sure. I, well, I, probably handle it the best I can. It just, you have to blow it off because, you know, you have, there's nothing you can do. You can't do anything about it. So, but sometimes that can really, um, I guess more than anything, it makes me uh, sad. It makes me sad more than anything when they miss something. Carol Channing was a dear friend of mine and she was uh, starring in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes and she was on the cover of Time Magazine and Newsweek at the same time, which uh, Time and uh, uh, Life magazine at the same time. And Dorothy Kilgallen wrote in her column that she could not understand the phenomenon of Carol Channing, that she was had no talent, she couldn't sing, that she was like a bull in a china shop on stage, and that she just could not understand what everybody else was seeing in her. And although Carol at this time was the toast of Broadway, Carol, everything went out the window and Carol focused on what Dorothy Gilgallad wrote. And it began to affect her performance. And Anita Luce, who wrote the book, came to see the show and came backstage and said, what is going on? And she said, what if the audience is seeing what she saw? And she said, and this is what she said to me. She said, you've got to realize in this business that for every person who likes you, they're an equal number who don't get used to it and get out there. And she said that changed her life. It was oh. just that one statement. Yeah. That's excellent advice. Excellent advice. 
And it is true. It can really affect you, you know, which is why I don't normally, you know, you never know. But even if it's good, you don't want it to make you full of yourself or, you know, it's there's so many different ways they can go. But that's excellent advice. I remember a, a college friend of mine um, said after she graduated college, she said to her dad, you know, I want to move uh, downtown New Orleans. I want to get a flat in downtown New Orleans for a while and and just find myself. And he took her to the mirror in the living room and held her in front of the mirror and said, there you are. Right there. Go get a job. And I've never forgotten that. That reminds me once, you know, some of these new directors coming out of the colleges right now, you know, they come in and they want to do all these exercises that they learned at school. And I'm like, I'm like, I've been doing this longer than you've been alive. Like, I don't need to do exercises anymore. And so one time, one came in and was like, bring a photo of who your character is. And everybody <laughs> brought these, these pictures. And I brought a photo of my, my headshot. <laughs> this is who my character is. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. So, Tanya, I want to ask you, what made this previous week for you worth celebrating? Um, what made this previous week? Gosh, I can't even remember this week. Well, first of all, I have had an extraordinary week. I was in a different city, different city, state or country every day for five days. Wow. So I was in Paris. I was in Normandy. I was in Kentucky. I was in Atlanta. I met a family that I, I, I have that option on telling their family story they know their history from being kidnapped in the Songhai Empire and brought here. And three generations of their family um, stitched the codes into quilts that helped runaways make it to the north. And the the granddaughters of that last, the grandchildren of that last family, they're in their 80s. There are five of them. You know, like I said, I'm doing my Swedish death cleaning. These people are in their 80s. They got motorcycles. They got RVs. They're traveling over. I'm like, oh, you mean that I might have a lot more? The 85-year-old like whooped my butt in uh, bowling. He like bowled a 200 to my like 80. Um, so that was thrilling to meet people who were so inspiring. And then their family was wonderful and made me feel like their family. And then Normandy is just gorgeous. And a friend of mine bought a theater and a farm. And, you know, I just got to be there with them and that. And then Paris... I wasn't there as a tourist and I went to different people's homes and I was with this one family and they were just laughing and even their teenage daughters about how they had gotten every mosquito illness. And they were just laughing about it. Like, oh, remember when we couldn't put our clothes on because we had the bone breaking pain and everything was good. And I just loved the spirit of them. And so it was really inspiring. I had, a, I've had a great last week. Oh, that sounds incredible. Uh, Jackie, what inspired you this week? Um, I think um, our our directors really have had to pull together a lot because we've had, you know, an actor here and there out with COVID and pulling the understudies in and rearranging this and Cheryl Ferrone and Richard Romagnoli just just pulling, you know, we do this in participation with uh, Middlebury College. So some of the, the people in our show are college students and they are working their tails off these kids. And, you know, they've already had to do a good bit of college online, like performers trying to get jobs in the theater have had to do college online. So now they're in a real theater and they are working in New York City and they've never, some of them never been here. And some of them are understudying and they're learning that, you know, Whereas understudying used to be sort of a glorified little thing in the program in COVID times, understudying is a job and you're going on, <laughs> you know, you're going to probably go on and to see these kids pull it together and do things they've never done before. And, you know, the different levels of preparation, who's been ready, who's been on the spot, who needed extra help and who was terrified, uh, you know, just to watch all these kids, um, and then we have, you know, people, Bill Army, Daniel Scra's dad, all these people, we've all been in this business forever. I think we've all been very inspired by these kids pulling it together um, during this time. I want to, you know, this year, and you bring up a very interesting point. This 
past year because of a lot of things that have happened in the news uh, in the theater. Uh, understudies, swings, standbys, God bless all of you, uh, and uh, have come to the forefront. Uh, has there ever been an experience with either of you where at the last minute you had to go on uh, in a situation where you didn't think you were prepared to do what you had to do and you just had to pull it out of a hat, so to speak, and you really learned truly how prepared you were more so than you thought you were? Either one of you can go to uh, first. I can't imagine Tanya's ever under, had to understudy anyone. <laughs> I've understudied many, many times. Have you? And here, here's a here's a story that I think is, you know, these I, I'm 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 getting very conservative in this. These young people and all their complaints about, oh my God, you don't treat me right. I'm like, they truly don't know what it was to be in this business 50 years ago. No. There were people who you worked with, and it was like you came into the room. And they were like, if you were like the new person, was like, don't fuck up our show. I'm sorry if I can't curse, but it was like, no. so they expected you to step to a standard. And I remember I came in as an understudy for A, My Name is Alice. And it was uh, Elena Reed and somebody else. And I was understudying two of them. And I came into the dressing room and they said, oh, we heard you had a good um, first rehearsal. Well, we'll see how good you are. And each of them missed the next night. So I had to go on. Wow. Wow. And that was just called like that's just training. That's yeah. like they, that was just like we're training you. You got to you got to be ready, as Jack K. Harry would say. If they give you a minute, take sixty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I was um, I was understudying the last revival of uh, Smoke on the Mountain uh, several years ago, an off-Broadway musical, and I had to play a lot of instruments in addition to the three women I was understudying. And I, I do play a lot of instruments, so that wasn't uh, something I had to do. But some of instruments, I'm better than others. And pia piano is not my forte. I'm a really strong saxophone player, and I play banjo, and I play guitar, and I play all these instruments that I grew up playing because I watched the Barbara Mandrell show, and I wanted to be like her. But I piano lessons were something I did for my mother to make her happy. But um, the first day I was hired as the understudy, uh, Constance Barron, who was playing the mother in the role, and I was like, I don't know, 28 years old, and I was going to understudy her. She was playing the mother. And she said, listen, she said, um, if you can learn my book first, um, I need to take some time off because I'm going to get married. And I can have an extra few days of my honeymoon if you learn my book first. And I took one look at that piano book, and I almost had a heart attack because it was, you know, serious, like gospel piano. And I just worked around the clock and I had a new baby. I had a, I had a one-year-old baby at home and we just called my niece in and said, you're going to live with us and take care and I'm going to learn this thing. And I gave her her extra time and she married John Miller and they are still very happy. And, uh, <laughs> and there you go. Wow. wow. What instruments well, do you play? Um, I play uh, piano, uh, alto sax, five string banjo, uh, guitar, clarinet, upright bass. I am telling you, this is what talk about, you know, kids 50 or whatever. When I was a kid, we didn't have Kardashians on television. We had the Mandrell sisters and those girls played a thousand instruments. And they at least two of them really nailed them, Barbara and Louise. And I saw that in my tiny little town. And so the first person I ever saw playing alto jazz saxophone was Barbara Mandrell. So I, I saw someone, them. you know, like mm -hmm. I thought, oh, that's what we, you know, that that's cool for me to do because that's what she's doing. So like that was the first person I ever saw. So saxophone is probably my my main instrument. And I variety shows when I was a kid in the you know seventies and eighties. Those variety shows were were huge. That's Love it. the variety shows. Yep. And I mean, you, when you see, you know, it's amazing. I, I remember an interview that I saw years ago where Jessica Lang said when she was a young girl. You know, we had the, like Playhouse 90 and all these shows where there was live theater on television every night of the week. And now you've got 500 channels and that quality television cannot be replicated. Why is that? I feel like just 
and it's not everybody, but some people's standards just aren't the same as ours. Like I started watching a TV show today. I am not going to say the name of it. And I was just like, it was like, it was like TikTok, the way the TV show was. And it was just like people whining and complaining. And I was like, I don't even like these people. Why are they on a TV show? Enough to pay attention to. Like, what is going to be the lesson, the the value that you're going to share with us? <laughs> There's a lot of whining. There's a lot of whining about why things, you know, on TV shows and about why things can't be done. And once a year we have that big musical that they say, you know, so-and-so live or, you know, Peter Pan live or whatever it is. Like. Beauty and the Beast was just the Live. But, you know, yeah, they used to just do plays and that used to actually be what television was. I remember um, sitting with Betty White one day and Betty White telling me when she first started in television, um, it was five hours a day live and she would sing a song and then somebody hand her some news copy. She'd do the news and then somebody would come on and uh, recite poetry. And if she knew that poet's work, she'd recite a poem too. And so people like had this uh, trove, this point of reference, this giant broad point of reference that they could mine from. And um, I think it's been very interesting. I know I heard, I think it was Barbara Streisand saying, you know, people now want to be famous, but famous for what? Do they just want to be famous for famous sake mm -hmm. or do they you know, but you, you can be famous for just nothing. Exactly. For nothing. For nothing. Whereas it used to be like we celebrated people. We had, you know, Charlie Parker and these people whose skills were so, I mean, incomparable. Like you would go all over the world and you would not find people who could do what Charlie Parker did. And that was a merit. That's what was our standard. And then you had, and I'm going to be in big trouble for saying this, but you had like somebody like Elvis Presley come along who could play three chords on a guitar. And then. <laughs> We'll never get over that. I feel like before that we had Benny Goodman, we had Charlie Parker, we had Coulter, we had Ella Fitzgerald. Like no one sings like Ella Fitzgerald. No one can do that. And that's what we had as our standard. And then things came in and people wanted something more approachable, something that maybe they could do. And I just kind of the, the things have gotten lowered. But I wish we would go back to having some some plays on television. I wish there were an outlet. I wish there was a one even once a week uh, opportunity to see. I, I mean, Lawrence what Olivier. I mean, uh, well, no, it was uh, Natalie Wood and Robert Wagner uh, in the. If you remember, in the uh, late seventies, uh, started doing uh, like Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Uh, they did uh, Streetcar Named Desire. They were doing these classic American plays uh, for television. I remember they did uh, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof with Laurence Olivier playing Big Daddy. Wow. Uh, and uh, I watched it. Uh, it was, uh, it, it would be, there's so much great American theater out there. Uh, these classics that should be presented uh, weekly. And we've got all the channels. And yet it's not being presented to the masses the way it should be. How do we change this? Well, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that reality has, is so cheap to make. Exactly. And it's so popular. And this show that I was watching was just like literally people walking around, videoing themselves in their, to me, boring lives. <laughs> like they weren't and interesting people. But the show was them, hey, I'm in the club. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> and, you know, on YouTube, I think that one of the things that's happened is that because we are in a very wealthy Western nation, most of the world, probably half of the world doesn't live like we do. So just seeing our regular lives is like a TV show for some people. Wow. So some people just film their lives and they, they have millions of followers because people from outside of the USA to just see a Western person's life. That's huge. Well, and here we are. <laughs> so I'm going to give away a book because I don't want us to go too uh, over. Uh, I'm going to add this to the stream and I am going to give this away. Uh, I love both of you so much. I'm so thrilled that you both said yes. I had a great time this afternoon. I hope you both did too. I as well. And I'm uh, so grateful to Paul, be 
to. Paul Brogan. I just happen to have his book here. Uh, he has a wonderful new book out called A Sprinkling of Stardust Over the Outhouse. Isn't that a great title? Oh, vivid. Uh, and if you want to know more about Paul, he was my guest uh, on Tuesday night. We had a great uh, show. Uh, Paul, I will be getting this book to you. See, Paul, you come on the show, you win something. Um, don't go anywhere for just a moment. I want to say my closing remarks. And then uh, Tanya and Jackie, I'm going to give you both a chance uh, to have your closing remarks uh, for today. Um, everyone who tuned in, uh, I know that I can speak for Tanya and Jackie, I think, when I say this. We don't take it lightly when you show up. So thank you for spending an hour with us this afternoon. Uh, it means a lot. Uh, after today's show, uh, please go to YouTube and leave a comment about what you thought of today's show. And please follow Tanya and Jackie wherever you see their names appear. I will have details about their projects on YouTube so you can learn more about them. Uh, so Jackie and Tanya, please send me all of your links so that people can keep up with everything you're doing. Um, the word of the day is caring. And that was the theme that ran through this entire show with everything that we all do. They care about the work they do. They care about the people they work with. They care about the people they've worked with. It means a lot. And it means a lot with everything that we do in this business. We don't just get up, turn on a switch, and hope that it's going to happen. A lot of time and effort goes into everything that we say and do. So it's all up to all of us in terms of what we do, how we go about our daily lives, and what we do in the world. And I know I sound like a broken record when I say this, but I want to talk a little bit about social media and what we put out into the world. Uh, I'm gonna get political for a moment and I hope you'll all forgive me. I don't care what side of the fence you're on political, uh, politically, but if you paid attention to the hearings last night, uh, this former president uh, stood by and did nothing as rioters were storming the Capitol building, uh, did nothing. And it was up to him to do something. We all have to stand up for things we believe in. When you see something on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn, if it's going to elevate the person that's posting it or your friends or even yourself, like it, comment on it, or share it. If it's not going to do any of those three things, delete it or hide it. Don't spread it out into the world because it's up to each of us with what we put out there. I always end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Go out to your Facebook friends list and reach out to the eighth name that pops up and reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call. Um, those of you who follow me may have seen a post that I posted yesterday. Uh, on uh, August 2nd, I was scheduled to interview Shaka Ducare, who is playing Big Mama Thornton in the new film Elvis. She died suddenly yesterday uh, at the age of 44. Uh, her two children found her. Uh, and it came as a shock. Her manager called me last night. Uh, she was excited about doing this show. Uh, this was her first big break in this business. And like that, gone. Uh, none of us are promised tomorrow. I'm not trying to end this show on a negative note, but to tell us all how precious our lives are and that it's important that we reach out to those that we love and that we tell those that we love how much we love them. And that's why I end my shows by telling you to reach out to those people that you love with a phone call. And that's why I pick a different number each day so that we spread it around because I know you can't call everybody. So reach out to that eighth person today and let them know that what they mean. As my dear friend, Sean Moniker always says, we're all in this together, but we're not in the same boat. And I always say, if you're going to go out in a boat, 
make sure you bring a skipper along. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to leave the screen right now, and I'm going to turn it over to you, Tanya. And when you finish, turn it over to Jackie. And Jackie, when you finish, don't worry about how to end the show. As soon as you say goodbye, the credits will roll. Thank you all for being here, and I will see you tomorrow night at 7 o'clock with my dear friend, Carol Cook. I'll see you all later. Goodbye. Tanya, it's all yours. Thank you. Uh, I would just like to say that um, I try to live my life and make sure every day is complete so that at the end of the day, I can say today would be a good day to die because I've said everything I needed to say to everybody. So yeah, live every day like it could be a good day to die. Jackie. Thank you, Tanya. Um, I would just like to say that um, Several years ago, I did lose my very closest friend, um, the great actress Jan Maxwell. She she meant everything to me. She was my dearest friend. And she did live every day. It meant she worked as hard as she could. And um, she meant the world to a lot of people in this business. And um, I think teaching the love of family, the love of her family, um, we had a mutual love of our families, um, the kindness her family has shown to me in all this time um, and making sure that you keep touch if you're in this business, keep tight with your family if you can um, and if you have good relationships with them and try to have good relationships with them um, even if you differ on some things. Um, I would say in addition to Richard's call the eighth person on your Facebook list, also, maybe try to reach out on the phone to someone in your family and, uh, and see where that leads. Thanks so much.